Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you heard all the rave about the new Quick Grill located inside the Be Quick Chevron on Veterans Boulevard? Come visit Be Quick Chevron along with Quick Grill, Be Quick Food Marts, your locally owned hometown convenience store, wherever you are. This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert along with rhino in the element well studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music with a little better voice today i think i can oh yeah i can um uh speak in at least a couple of octaves whereas yesterday it was pretty much a monotone deal so much better. Appreciate everyone bearing in there with us yesterday, and I feel like tomorrow I would I would rate it at like eighty five to ninety percent. I feel like tomorrow I'll be ninety five to a hundred. Going out on a limb, I can't still sing in falsetta. I can do that. <laughs> Not like. Um, uh, the great Barry Gibb of Bee Gees. That was like serious falsetto there, wasn't it? Was yeah, that's the that. male equivalent of the whistle tone. Okay. What is that? That what? is that ridiculously high note that Mariah Carey hits. Oh, man. She, of course, because she's singing all octaves? I believe so. Well, not all, because, I mean, all would include male octaves, too. But okay. she's got a pretty big range. Okay. Wasn't uh, it also true that Barbara Streisand was described as having? I think so, yeah. And, uh, of course, Karen Carpenter as well, from the female vocalist world. Right. Well, we are here in the Element Well studios on the program today at 1020 in the next segment. John Pope, Collins Fire Chief and President of the Mississippi Firefighters Association, and then at 11.05, Representative Becky Curry. And, wow, we got a lot to talk about with the representative. Of course, uh, initially, we on this program last Friday were discussing a few members of the House who had concerns, expressed concerns about elimination of the income tax. I want to clarify again that these members didn't, uh, I guess, just declare, no way, no how, I'm ever going to support income tax elimination. Rather, they shared that they had some some uh, concerns or some questions, I think is a fair way to put it. Yeah, there's a lot of distance between a hard no and a hold up. Yeah. And so yesterday, and we got some text while we were on the program, I did from uh, a couple of these members who heard us talking about it. 
very respectful, cordial. I want to be clear there. And they wanted me to know, well, this is where I have concerns, Gerard. And that fair enough. Well, Representative Curry was one of those. And, in fact, she just said she's concerned about the trajectory of state spending vis-a-vis elimination of the income tax, meaning we've got spending going up and we'd have revenue going down. How are we going to make that work, even in a period where we have uh, incurred tidy surpluses the last couple of years? Fair, it's fair enough. Okay, so she's coming on today. She was nice enough to say, yeah, because we made an extension to all these folks, as you recall, of an invitation, said, come on and talk to us about it. Come in here in the Element Well Studios and let's have a conversation. So Representative Curry is doing just that. And then Representative Felsher and Representative uh, Jansen Owen also reached out via text to let me know these are... This is where I stand. Not, not Like Rhino said, definitely not a hard no. Just had some questions. That's fair enough. That's what they, that's what they should be doing. You should question any legislation. doesn't matter what it is, and nothing should ever be a rubber stamp, and no one serving in the legislature should ever feel compelled to simply vote the way leadership tells them. They, they, they may, ultimately... But if they have concerns and they want to get those issues addressed, those questions answered, that's perfectly legitimate. That's the way the process is supposed to work. Supposed to work. So, happy to have Representative Curry in today to dig a little deeper into what her her thoughts are about elimination of the income tax. But also, we reported yesterday that Governor Tate Reeves indicated on Sunday that he now would uh, support and sign a bill that would extend postpartum Medicaid coverage to a full 12 months, a full year, as opposed to the present two months, 60 days postpartum after delivery. And and so yesterday we learned, late in the day, that Speaker of the House Philip Gunn has had a, a bit of, I, I would say it's, it's um, accurate to describe as a change of heart, somewhat. Um, he's certainly not offering his uh, robust support for extending postpartum coverage, but he he did seem to indicate that given the governor's change in position, what do, you, what do you think? I want to make sure I describe this accurately. He, of course, was on the program with Paul this morning, and uh, and uh, our news department did a great job of um, capturing the essence of his comments and his interview on the Super Talk news site. I think that's that's fair to say that I think he still has more concerns than support, though. I agree. I agree. He, he does, and I don't think he's changed in that regard. But it doesn't sound like he's an absolute, as you just said, absolute flat, hard no, I'm not going to let this thing pass, and uh, to the extent he can. 
and I'm telling my members that they must fall in line. This is what I'm recommending. Sounds to me like it. Um, he's allowing it to go to committee. In fact, we just found out before we came on the air, I believe it is passed out of committee. You hear that? I heard that. I hadn't double-checked it yet. Yeah. Let me see. So I believe it passed out of the Medicaid committee, which I seem to recall is chaired by Representative Joey Hood. And so, and of course, it's already passed the Senate, and the governor said he would sign it. So if this bill gets to the floor of the House, passes the House, it would, in fact, be set to the governor's office at that point. Unless they mark it up and it needs to go to conference, it would go to the governor's office, and the governor's indicated as of Sunday he would sign it. Now, there's a fair amount of, let's just say, misunderstanding about what exactly this means. And I wanted to clarify that, provide some background. So we've discussed the primary coverage groups for Medicaid services. And this goes back, by the way, to the launch of the program in 1965. And I think a lot of people have the perception that this is free health care for people who don't work, who produce no income, who are just sitting on their laurels, collecting helicopter money from the government. In fact, that's actually not true when you look at the coverage groups. And that starts with children. And the reason I started with children is because children comprise, in Mississippi, 56% of the total covered by Medicaid, which at this point is just under 800,000. Now, these would be children who come from low-income families, and that that figure has uh, – just wanted to make sure I get the figure right because that has changed a bit. 209% if they're enrolled in the CHIP program, 209% of the federal poverty level for a household of one – uh, the federal poverty level at 100% is 14500 bucks, something along those lines. So you can do the math there. $35,000, $40,000, of course, that would be for a single person in the household. If you got more than that, which you would in the case of the ch- of a child, that figure increases, uh, let's see, 200% is... Uh, for a family of two is roughly 40 grand. So they would be eligible. And when we come back, we've got uh, we got Jerry Pope, right, from the Collins Fire. John. John Pope. John Pope. I've got a friend named Jerry Pope. My fault. He's coming in. He's the Collins Fire Chief, president of the Mississippi Firefighters Association. When we return, we'll get back to the Medicaid discussion after that interview. Looking forward to seeing John. Stay with us. Shining star for you to see what your life can truly be. Shining star for you to see what your life can truly be. Shining star for you to see what your life can truly be. Middays with Gerard Gibbs. What? What? This is so awesome. 
on Super Talk Mississippi. You shake my nerves and you rattle my brain. Too much love as a man insane. You broke my wind, but what a thrill. Goodness, you wreckage and quitting balls of fire. I let you love all I thought it was funny. You came along and you moved now, honey. I changed my mind, but it's fine. Goodness gracious, quitting balls of fire. The great Jerry Lee Lewis bumping into this segment here on Middays. We welcome now John Pope, the Collins Fire Chief and President of the Mississippi Firefighters Association. Chief Pope, good to see you, sir. Thanks, Gerard. Great to be here. All right, so give us an update on the House Bill 521. You and I spoke about that. I believe the day it made it out of committee. That's right. uh, I ran into you at the Capitol and we were discussing uh, the merits of the bill, and we were hoping that it would get out and get to the floor, and sure enough, it did that day when I ran into you. So explain what the bill does uh, for firefighters. Okay, well, uh, as you said, you know, we ran into one another that day at the Capitol after we had got it out, kind of had to do a little life support on it, (laughs) Uh, had a little little hiccup along the way, but we got it out of uh, the House and uh, got it passed over to the Senate. Uh, So 521 is a length of service award program. What this would do is, is would provide a financial contribution into a... Uh, somewhat of a uh, defined benefit contribution program for active volunteer firefighters. And at the end of a term of service, they would be able to receive a lump sum financial payment to them uh, in award uh, for their uh, services rendered as a firefighter, volunteer firefighter in the state of Mississippi. And so what's the status of the bill right now, John? Okay. So as we said, the bill came over to the Senate. Yep. Uh, it was referred, uh, double referred to insurance and to appropriations. It passed out of insurance from Senator Michelle's okay. committee, and it is now transferred to appropriations. Appropriations is scheduled to take the bill up this afternoon at 1.30 yeah. in the appropriations committee, so we'll be there to support that. Um, there's been some discussion on the bill, some uh, some changes that have been um, basically looked at uh, from uh, Lieutenant governor had some recommendations for some possible changes to the bill as it was it it was changes that did not change the overall bill it was just how the bill the funding mechanism and how we ensure the longevity of the bill because this is this is recurring this isn't just one year and then it's done this is something that's got to be continual because we're talking about rewarding these volunteer firefighters for their continued service it's recruitment and retention. Um, so there's some changes about where it was. The original bill uh, called for uh, right now the fire service was getting uh, one half of 10% of the growth since 1990 right. on the fire insurance premium tax. We had, uh, The recommendation was it would be one half of 20%. Well, now uh, the proposal is that there would be base dollars that would come from the state that would have a base, and then the other would be funded through uh, what is basically a, a special fire fund that comes from some of those other uh, fire tax dollars and, and other uh, uh, non-admitted fees. Uh, so that was the proposal that came up, a few changes to the maybe the makeup of the Board of Trustees. But still, the, the bill itself, the meat and potatoes is still the same. It right. still accomplishes the same things. It's going to help us to recruit and retain firefighters. Uh, it's got good support. Um, came out of insurance, like we say, as it was. These changes, of course, come out of appropriations. If it passes out today to go back to insurance committee 
and then be voted and then be sent over to the House. The House. But we feel good yeah. about it. What about the governor? Has he indicated he's on board? Um, we've kind of been kind of working uh, through uh, these sides right now and haven't been able to have a one-on-one conversation with him yet. But we feel like his support of first responders and support of the fire service in the past, uh, that, that we'll have good support. What we want to try to do is is kind of work through this side and then, you know, not get the, the cart ahead of the horse, so to speak, and stuff. Uh, but I feel good about it. Okay. What sort of feedback uh, have you received, uh, John, from your members? Uh, our membership is in full support. We've uh, we had a a Zoom meeting that we set up at the State Fire Academy uh, and reached out to the entire fire service of the state and invited everyone to be able to join in. Um, we had great participation in that. We had a lot of good question and answer term with that. Um, everybody understands and sees that there is a decrease. As we talked in our prior conversation, mm-hmm. we've seen about a thirty percent decrease in volunteer firefighters in the state of Mississippi. We've got about 9,000 men and women now that serve in the in the volunteer fire service. Uh, the volunteer fire service touches almost every community in our state. Um, we're a very rural state, um, and then even in our smaller municipalities, many of them rely on volunteer fire departments. As we talked about, um, you're more apt, if you have an emergency, that you may receive services from a volunteer firefighter during your lifetime uh, than maybe otherwise. Um, But the membership is very positive on this. They have reached out to uh, their legislators uh, showing support. Um, And the legislators have told us, we've heard from your membership. We've heard from your members. We appreciate that. Um, And, you know, we've been able to provide good talking points, and they've conveyed those. So we feel feel good with it, and I think it will really make a positive difference. But number one, it's about safety. This is about going to allow the fire service to continue to provide services that are needed, but it's about safety and saving lives. Gotcha. John, update us on the tragic fire in Brookhaven over the weekend. Okay. know a little bit about it just in some context that I've had, of course, a very tragic incident, uh, loss of two lives in that fire, uh, had some other injuries, and I think it was 26 or 28 other individuals displaced. Um, very large fire, number one, um, you know, the the fire department in Brookhaven and in, in Lincoln County they you know all came together to work that fire. Um, I think they were on scene for over nine hours uh, working the fire, um, but uh, don't have any other information. I, I think they were you know trying to determine the cause of it, but just uh, you know that shows the the daunting task that our firefighters have each and every day. Um, very large fire uh, took a large number of personnel to respond to it, uh, and just uh, you know for them in managing. Uh, that incident and stuff. They've got a very strong fire service there in Brookhaven and in Lincoln County, and they work well together. Uh, but just a sad, sad, sad situation uh, with that loss of life. But um, that there, you know, is, at least there wasn't a larger loss of life. It's very sad and tragic to lose any lives. Sure. Uh, but could have been a lot larger loss of life. Do we Have we identified the root cause yet? I don't believe they have. I know that they had investigators with the fire marshal's office that were looking at it and stuff, but I've not heard that they've released any information on a, on a cause or anything. What about uh, the fire academy? Did we, did we just graduate a class, I yes, believe, right? Yes, graduated a class last week. Uh, actually, uh, uh, Director Wages and I were over at the Capitol at the time that graduation was taking place uh, because we had a committee meeting. We were trying to work through five 
of 21, but had a, a large class graduate. Our academy does a great job of uh, training uh, firefighters in our state. Um, we have, uh, you know, uh, a lot of great programs uh, and is truly one of the top fire training agencies in the nation. And mm-hmm. it's a, definitely a, a gem for the state of Mississippi. Uh, we It truly, when you come out of the academy, it says, if I made a difference today. And our st- state mm-hmm. fire academy makes a difference each and every day. Part of the Department of Insurance, right? That's correct. It's part of the Department of Insurance uh, under uh, Commissioner Cheney, um, and he does a great job uh, supporting the fire service of the state, uh, supporting the academy, the fire marshal's office, and and fire prevention efforts through the state as well. But um, just the academy is a great organization, uh, and we appreciate all that it does and all the support that the commissioner provides for us. I know that uh, in, in talking to the commissioner, it's uh, it's something he takes great pride in, for sure, and he should. Exactly, exactly. I mean, we, we teach and train a, a huge number of firefighters. Myself, uh, prior to taking Fire Chief in Collins, I was a staff instructor at the Fire Academy for a good while, um, and, and definitely a highlight of my career, yeah. uh, being able to uh, be there where so many firefighters get their beginning, get their start. Right. Uh, and tomorrow we have a entry PT test uh, for firefighters that will be getting ready to go to the fire academy. They'll be there tomorrow morning bright and early to perform that PT test uh, to be able to get uh, acceptance and entrance into the basic firefighter training program. But the academy provides so much training, not just uh, that provides training for the volunteers, career, uh, provides EMS training, rescue training, hazmat training. Mm. Uh, the fire service is truly an all-hazards uh, response agency. Mm-hmm. You have to be prepared for everything because when – the tones go off. Uh, you don't know what you're responding to until the dispatch gives it to you. And it could be one of a million things we respond to. And people used to say, if you don't know who to call, call the fire department, and they'll figure it out and take care of it. And that's truly how it is a lot of times. Something that opened my eyes, John, about three years ago, I I, um, I serve on, on the board of the Southwest Chapter of the Red Cross. Mm-hmm. And I was shocked to learn that the number one catastrophe the Red Cross uh, responds to is house fires. That's that's correct. And in the state of Mississippi, it's like one a week or something. It is. It's a large number. And, they, and the Red Cross does a great job in supporting. Um, you know, we can make phone calls to be able to get disaster support assistance for them, uh, whether it's, um, you know, small incidental needs or whether it's housing for, a, for a, you know, a, a certain period of time, hotel and such. So the Red Cross does a lot. And, and we do suffer a lot of, of home fires in the state of Mississippi, but a lot of work is being done to, you know, push more uh, prevention information out right. and such as well. Because so many are preventable is, is what we've learned through That's that. Correct. Just having basic smoke alarms. That's right. The, Having operable smoke alarms at home, uh, knowing a good exit drill in the home, and just taking those prevention efforts uh, makes a huge difference. John, we'll be uh, keeping our eyes on this legislation. I think it's a good deal for the firefighters in the state, and we, and we need them. Like we you do. said, we need these volunteer firefighters. We do indeed. Thank you for your support. Appreciate you coming on, John. John Pope, Collins Fire Chief and President of the Mississippi Firefighter Association. We're coming right back with more in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, before I dig back into the the wonkiness of Medicaid and taxes, I got a project going on in my house I wanted to share. All right. So when I built my house in 2008, I installed um, a home a whole home automation system. And at the time, there was really only a couple that were of brands, manufacturers, systems that were available and sort of mainstream. One is called AMX. The other is Crestron. You may have seen them. Kind of got their start in commercial automation. Like you'd see an AMX or a Crestron touchpad, maybe even a screen in the wall or freestanding on a pedestal in a conference room, for example, to control the the audio-video systems, the lighting, the shades, etc. Well, I actually installed um, Remote Technologies, Inc. system, really liked the interface and the controller setup and so forth. And that dude just stopped working. He got tired, stopped working. About three weeks ago. As electronics do. That's right. Some aspect of it. Well, it's 15 years old. And it's honestly worked very well. So I have um, multiple zones, whole house audio across my house, uh, 14 zones, including outside. And have a great multi-zone amp and preamp and tuner for that purpose, controlled by the RTI. And it also controls a couple of surround sound systems in my house. Well, it stopped working right, so I'm I'm replacing it with what I felt like was the best fit for my application from a company called Control 4, the number 4, Control the number 4. Really cool and much easier to program. The, of course, you would expect in 15 years oh, yeah. those tools have uh, improved dramatically, much faster, much more intuitive. But what I was going to say is, so I decided as part of that project to replace some of the surround sound gear in my house. It's a bit aged. Have you bought a new TV lately? No. They've, like, crammed too much stuff into it. <laughs> so last night, literally along with uh, an installer who represents Control 4 that I've known for a long time. And he and I were working together on this project. Well, you know, all these devices now have Ethernet links, interfaces, built into them. They're, they're all IP-controlled. All, P, uh, all have IP connectivity. So what that means is that from a, from a control system that is also IP-based, like Control 4, from your phone, for example, via Wi-Fi, you can control those devices if they're just connected to your network, just as any other network device would be. Some of them don't behave well, thus you have to use the infrared, and it's possible to connect the infrared emitters to the network. I know I'm getting wonky here, but 
For about three hours, we couldn't figure out why the infrared connection was acting weird. And some televisions act better on infrared than they do IP and vice versa. Well, we had already experienced that this particular make was problematic via IP, so we're fine to use the infrared. Well, this one, we set it up for infrared, and it kept flipping on and off. Couldn't figure out why. And all we did was revert to the IP, which didn't work on the other two, and it worked perfect. But it just took three hours to find that, so we stopped this process about 10 o'clock last night. Man, oh, man. Gone are the days where the TV had, at most, one input. Right. So now, with the HDMIs, you know, you've got the eARC HDMI, and you've got the HDMI 2.0, 2.1.1.0, and we thought, well, maybe that's the problem. And we were moving HDMIs, and then I said, well, let's just do every device independently using the provided controls. Well, that worked fine. I said, well, maybe it's the driver. We downloaded a new driver. Same thing. Well, let's just try this. Go back to IP. Boom, it started working. Dirty electrons, as we used to say in, <laughs> in my days. Well, it's just dirty electrons that caused that. I digressed, I know. I just had That's to... the way any home entertainment system works, though. I mean, it doesn't have to be that complicated or that complex. Eventually, you hit a wall and you just start plugging things in. That's it's exactly like, hey, right. Hey, hey, don't touch it. It's working. Just leave it alone. I don't know how it worked, but it worked. <laughs> well... So what made me think about when you set these TVs up, how much stuff they've crammed into them? Oh, yeah, there's 40 different apps in the TV alone, and then you got all these little dongles you can plug in and it'll add even more. Yeah, but I just want to watch TV, and you got to spend two hours asking, answering questions. You know what I mean? It's, it's like this, this Q&A process that you've got to p- plug in all your stuff. And in the case of this is a Samsung 70-inch TV, you must give it your zip code or it won't let you go through the rest of the setup. I didn't want to give it my zip code. It is a little weird. I couldn't get past it without I tried. We tried all the buttons, uh, even tried to navigate to the skip selection on the screen. Couldn't get there. Kept pushing us back. Enter your zip code. I bet it's cuz it's got its own weather app. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, or exactly. it's part of the screensaver or something where it Probably. can move a little icon of the forecast with the temperature <laughs> around like the DVD screens used to. Well, it, I don't think it's related to the crackling fire screensaver. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, Leo and Macomb on the ceasefire text line gives you a hint. says, sounds like something else in your house used infrared to control it. Yeah, it, it was. And we were watching the infrared emitters flash. And so the way the control force set up, it's called the navigator, the tool you use to do that. On a laptop running the navigator, you can literally click buttons on an interface on the screen that looks like a control, and it'll send those commands. And so we were watching it, but it would like flip the TV on two or three times before it finally settled down. And sometimes it settled down where we wanted, sometimes we wouldn't. And as soon as we took the infrared off, and plugged in and switched the driver to control via IP, everything cleared up. Although on the other two, it wouldn't. The other thing my installer told me yesterday is the emitters, which most of which are made in China, uh, sometimes they'll have the polarity reversed. And it takes two, uh, two leads on an IP, uh, excuse me, on an infrared emitter, two leads. It's not one, it's two wires. And they have them reversed. 
And so you have to literally go in there and swatch. You are literally connecting red to black and black to red to make it work. And and they know it. And apparently the manufacturers in China said, oh, yeah, we'll just switch to polarity. <laughs> well, you've got it labeled plus and minus, but it's wrong. Wow. So nothing's easy like it used to be. You know, you just turn the TV on and put your little rabbit ears up and you get <laughs> you get TV you want all this fancy stuff now, you got to go through a litany of questions. From the ceasefire text line from the 601, reminds me of trying to troubleshoot a church AV system. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, that's the business I was in for a long time. I hadn't been around it for a while. Making all these network tinker toys work, folks that are familiar with that know that, yeah, it's crazy. And sometimes the smallest little thing can hold you up. And, of course, the customer doesn't want to pay you for that. I'm not paying for that. It didn't work right. I understand. I get it. You just have to be careful. And that's why it's a good idea in that business to kind of find what you know works and you're comfortable with and you can. it's predictable from an installation perspective. When you start venturing out of that, all bets are off at that point. Back to this Medicaid situation. So I want to explain that extending coverage for for uh, postpartum, post-delivery, from the base 60 days post-birth to a year is not, quote-unquote, Medicaid expansion. It's extending the length of period f- for an existing base Medicaid coverage group, that being a pregnant woman. Now, the government, of course, calls it pregnant people, but here we call it pregnant women. Is that okay? Am I going to get canceled for that, or can we live with that? I'm sure someone's upset, but I'll allow it. So in Mississippi, uh, the threshold is 149, uh, pardon me, 94% of the federal poverty level. That's the income eligibility test for a pregnant woman. And that comes in at about twenty-eight dollars to $29,000 postpartum for that 12-month uh, period with ex- Extension of postpartum coverage, that 194% for a family, a household family size of two, comes in at about $38,000 a year of annual income to qualify. Now, once the one-year period is over, the mother and child, the child may be eligible, but the mother no longer is. Coming right back in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. It's all in you, and if 
Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Yeah, so with respect to Medicaid coverage in the state of Mississippi, again, there are five coverage groups, but Mississippi only participates in four. The fifth coverage group, that would be for able-bodied adults, whose income is between 100% of the federal poverty level and 138% of the federal poverty level. That's the coverage group that would be eligible if the state of Mississippi were to expand Medicaid. It's called Medicaid expansion because it expanded into to, to add this coverage group to the Legacy 4 from 1965. This was part of the Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare, passed in 2010. Medicaid expansion to cover, to add able-bodied adults who do work because they, otherwise they wouldn't have an income. And you must have an income of at least 100% of the federal poverty level to qualify. So you can't have zero income, as an example, and qualify for Medicaid. You have to have some income, meaning you're working. Just wanted to clarify that. That's completely different than extension of the coverage period for pregnant women, which is a legacy coverage group. Mississippi covers pregnant women during their period of gestation up to 194% of the federal poverty level, which is, as we indicated, just under $29,000 at present. Now, once they give birth, their income eligibility for a family of two at 194% is about $38,000, $38,000. Now, if during that period of time they're no longer eligible because their income has exceeded that threshold, their child could be. That's why most children covered by Medicaid live in households where the parents are not covered, or parent, but the child is, because the threshold is different, and that is a coverage group. Now, I think a lot of folks are shocked to learn that in Mississippi, 56%, this was asked yesterday, of those covered, which is some 440,000 children, are children. The next percentage population that is most covered by uh, Medicaid, disabled. And that means they're receiving supplemental security income from Social Security as well. And then the next group is aged, the elderly, with Medicare. That's 9%. Pregnant women, that's the group we're talking about here, is only 2%. And Mississippi falls closely in line with similar statistics regarding 
the entire nationwide universe of those enrolled in Medicaid. It's very similar. It's mostly children. Again, it's children who live in households that uh, qualify based on income eligibility, income to the household. But if the state has not expanded Medicaid via the Affordable Care Act, then the parents, if they're able-bodied, would not qualify for Medicaid. I hope I'm making sense there. So you could have a child in the household on Medicaid, whereas the caretaker, the parent, parents are not. The exception, this is where it gets even weirder, is if the household income is less than 25% of the federal poverty level, which is about 4500 bucks a year. I don't know how the heck you make it as a parent, a caretaker, with a child with an income of $4,500 a year, but that is a coverage group. And by the way, that is 7%. 7% of the total covered by Medicaid in Mississippi. This is, by the way, this data directly from the Division of Medicaid. I'm looking at the analysis right now. We are stepping aside for a break right here. Hour one in the books. The voice is hanging in there. Appreciate you indulging me on that. And when we come back, it's Representative Becky Curry in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Get ready. Get ready to go beyond the headlines. And join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Middays, Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well Studios. Uh, joining us now, Representative Becky Curry. She represents District 92, which includes uh, Copaya, Lawrence, and Lincoln County. Serves as the chairperson of the House Tourism Committee and vice chair of the House Rules Committee. Representative Curry, always good to have you in the Element Well Studios. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Good to be here. So we got a lot of stuff that's going on down there under the dome at the Capitol the last few weeks. Uh, I guess the the most uh, pressing matter that has just broken wide open the last couple of days is uh, this bill to extend postpartum coverage under Medicaid from the standard 60 days of coverage, which has been around for quite some time out to a year for a full year of coverage. The the governor informed uh, uh, Mississippians uh, over the weekend that he could support such a measure. In fact, and I'm quoting him, uh, paraphrasing what he said here, that if, if a bill makes it to my desk, I will sign it, is what he said. That's right. And, uh, you know, so the bill came out of committee this morning and, um, you know, it still has a long way to go. Uh, they passed it through the Senate 
uh, sent it over. We passed it out of committee this morning, and then it will go to the House where you never know what will happen. Sure. So it is our understanding it was referred to the Medicaid committee. I never thought I'd see that happen, so uh, believe me, uh, that was a shocker. <laughs> shocker in that uh, uh, well, Speaker, so Speaker Gunn has made it clear he's he's uh, pretty strongly opposed to this. That's exactly right. So he did at least uh, from a standpoint of maybe deviating from his prior position, he uh, did refer it to the Medicaid committee. I believe that's chaired by Representative Joey Hood. Is that correct? correct? That's correct. So it's our understanding that here this morning it is passed out of committee. That's correct. Is that right? That's correct. So uh, what can happen now? So uh, there's several things can happen. It goes to the calendar in the House where it could sit and die. Uh, if they bring it out, they can add amendments that uh, may not make it uh, palatable for people. Uh, there's just a number of things that can happen. So it's kind of a wait-and-see process now. Well, it, we were talking about it before we, we came on the air, but the Speaker of the House can just let it die on the calendar, right? He, he doesn't have to. Even if it passes out of committee, he's not required by law or rules or procedure to put it on the floor for consideration and a vote. That's correct. He can um, let it die at the hill of the calendar is what okay. we call it. All right. So that is uh, the obvious benefit of being Speaker of the that's, House. There's a lot of them. That's there's, right. That's one of them. <laughs> and the same is true in the other chamber for the Senate, correct, that, for, the, for whomever's presiding, the lieutenant governor. That's correct, but their rules are a lot different than ours. Okay. I wasn't sure about yeah. that. And it, I also learned recently that our Constitution does not require members of the Senate uh, to empower the lieutenant governor. With any powers. Right. I mean, he can just stand there and and be um, an announcer. <laughs> uh, that's the difference in the House and the Senate. Their rules, they can uh, change them every four years. Well, we can too. Yeah. You know, but ours is not quite uh, where we can take the powers away from the speaker. Got it. Okay. So, what do you think is going to happen at this point? You support this, do you not? I do. Okay. Uh, you know, I am the author of uh, the bill that overturned Roe v. Wade, and I think that we're at a point now where we are going to have to take care of women and children. Um, this is not adding that much to the bill that that we already take care. Of. And if you're pregnant and, and, and poor, that you can get on Medicaid and, and your child can get on Medicaid. So we're not doing anything more than Ron DeSantis does in Florida. This is exactly his language. Uh, a lot of other conservative states. And, and a lot of it, if you, if you think about, and, and I think of young women that are getting pregnant pregnant, uh, having a child, and um, your world is turned upside down. You're not sleeping, you're not eating, all of a sudden you're taking care of this this infant, and, uh, you know, you look up and your 60 days is gone, and you haven't gone back to the doctor and made your plans for further birth control, which I hate to tell taxpayers, if they have another one, you're going to get to pay for that. So I just think that this is uh, the right thing to do and that, you know, it's not expanding Medicaid. I have to tell you, for the last three years, uh, if you were pregnant at the beginning of COVID, you're still on Medicaid. So we are uh, actually about to kick off uh, a whole lot of people. Uh, our Medicaid bills are going to go down tremendously after uh, the COVID CARES Act. Right. Yeah, so we, i, I got to tell you, We've explained this on this program 
I bet a hundred times I feel like that, and, and it's because it's complicated. It's I'm, so I'm not, complicated. I'm not, I'm not certainly not trying to be condescending by any stretch, but it's just there's a lot of information that floats around that's just incorrect, and we've made it so complicated. The average person shouldn't have to know about all this stuff. And, that's right. And we, we try to just cut through all that. Uh, this we're not. It's very clear. I mean, it's very critical that we clarify that this does not add a coverage group, and it doesn't expand Medicaid to a new coverage group. It simply extends the time period of coverage for an existing legacy coverage group that Mississippi has participated in since 1965. That's exactly right. And I have to tell you, in campaigning, and I'm a registered nurse, worked in labor and delivery for about 10 years of my long career, and um, I have the same tendency. I want to explain to my constituents Medicaid, and you can see their faces. I just lose them. It's it's so difficult it to is. understand. It is. And it's not being, um, you know, making anybody feel yeah, small. Sure. It's just if you don't know it and if you're not – I work in it every day. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's just – it's not sexy to talk about no, either. <laughs> no. And then you get into all the math and the federal poverty level and the income test. And then we should also point out that states do have some degree of latitude around uh, the coverage groups, the income tests, the services provided, as long as they're within the federal guidelines. And, they're, again, those are fairly broad. So each state can create essentially its own Medicaid program within federal constraints uh, and then, of course, the, we get money from the federal government. It's a, it's a jointly funded program between the states and the federal government. Mississippi, based on our 50th, unfortunately, uh, per capita income, receives the most, the highest federal match at about 73 percent under normal circumstances. In the COVID era since 2020, it hovers around 80 percent is and what we're getting. That's right. And, and as a nurse, I need to tell the people out there, Remember, we have the highest mortality rate of women and babies in the in the world. It's and so you just have to to be sure you you think about this and you're on the right side. You know, um, it's not a liberal point of view. We're just trying to take care of women and babies. We have outlawed abortion in this state. It's not going to happen. And now we are charged with taking helping take care of women and babies. And and I have to tell you something. Uh, I'm very proud of overturning Roe v. Wade. I hope that's my legacy when I'm gone. But, you know, the the thing is we have to give a little bit, too. Well, what uh, this is kind of a, a, a an analysis of our culture, and some may find it to be out of line. But I will say this. Folks that are thinking about starting a family and having a baby really need to make sure that they have the necessary means to operate their families because it's expensive and it, it can get out of hand. And so I think, you know, Representative Curry, folks on the right that oppose this would say, well, the government shouldn't be incentivizing uh, propagation, essentially. And I, there's some merit to that. There's some merit to that, but it's very hard to get down in the weeds. And when you are, uh, 
what I find is very successful people are, are that are doing well and can afford this, uh, you know, they don't want people who can't afford it to have babies. And and you can't get in those weeds. You know, it's very difficult. And I understand a responsibility. Uh, but, you know, you have people, I, my constituents, who work hard at two jobs, um, and and they're barely able to, to, to take care of their household. But are they not allowed to have a baby? You no, know. I certainly understand that. Yeah. I guess where I stand is more education is needed. I think a lot of times uh, th- this happens, and they're not totally sure and clear on exactly what the level of responsibility is. And I think it's a big wake-up call when they have that baby. Right. And in 60 days, you've got to make all these other decisions. That's why we were tr- trying to make sure they have time to make future decisions where they don't have another one uh, right off the bat. Right. And hopefully we can start just informing people so they can make good we decisions. We need to do on better the, at teaching. There's no doubt. No doubt. Representative Becky Curry is our guest here in the Element Well Studios. We're stepping aside for a break. Coming right back. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now, on to the real part. Dynamite! On Super Talk Mississippi. That's an appropriate song there, Rhino. A little money, because that's what we're about to talk about. So with respect to uh, the Medicaid extension of postpartum coverage, want to be clear that's a completely different matter and issue than adding a completely new coverage group. That is known as expansion, because you're expanding Medicaid, the Medicaid program, uh, to cover a group of individuals or families that uh, prior to expansion are, are not uh, eligible to participate in Medicaid. We're not talking about that with this bill. This just extends the coverage period to a coverage group that's already eligible. You're just giving them more time, really, is what you're doing. That's correct. We're, we're not uh, doing anything but making sure that they're healthy and that they have more time to make better decisions. You know, the the if you turn around and have a baby quickly after you've just had one, that is the the baby that will be in the NICU. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what... That's going to cost you um, millions of dollars. We had uh, the... Um, let's see, who was it? One of the physicians was on with this rhino that uh, talked about that. And uh, uh, an OB, they talked about that and said, yeah, that was a big-time problem when you do that. Um, and other things that they're just not aware of postpartum and, and that they sort of adopt into their lifestyle and it, and it causes problems down the line. 
before we go to taxes, it is my understanding, it's estimated that this uh, this measure would cost the state seven to nine, ten million a year. Well, we, what do you hear? We heard seven. Okay, seven. Um, okay. And so, you know, the other the other thing is, like we said, uh, if you have another baby within a year, it's going to cost a whole, whole lot more than seven. Yeah. So we're hoping that this. Uh, and and we're going to keep up with it. Let you know, uh, let it be known. We're going to make sure that this is beneficial. If it's not, we'll go back to what we were before. But we hope in the long run it's going to save the tax taxpayers' dollars. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, so let's uh, let's turn our attention to uh, tax reform and specifically elimination of the income tax. We got a bill passed last year that did in fact reduce the tax so the income tax burden on Mississippians phased in over four years. I think this is the year where the four percent bracket is eliminated and then the five percent bracket is reduced over the to four percent over the next three years. But there's still a push and the, the speaker made it clear. Uh, Representative Trey Lamar who who uh, heads Ways and Means also made it clear that that uh, elimination of the income tax, full elimination, was a top priority, and we're kind of that's where we are. It came out last week that didn't look like that that was possible based on some reservations of uh, supporting such a measure from Republicans that all Democrats had informed that that uh, they would not support, and you got to have all Republicans to achieve the three fifths vote in the chamber for tax legislation like this. And so I guess you could say it leaked. I don't know how else to describe it. A dozen or so members of the House, I don't know the exact number, I don't have it in front of me, that uh, were seen as being um, in the way, let's put it that way. And then we've come to find out, well, no, they really just had some questions. They weren't just hard nose on this, wanted to get their concerns and their questions answered, resolved satisfactorily on behalf of their constituents before they pledged their support. It, did I accurately describe that? You did a very good job. So we had a caucus meeting at 11 o'clock uh, last week, last Tuesday, and the speaker brought this bill up. Now, I want everybody to understand that he brought the bill up. It was printed and in the Ways and Means Committee, but we were not allowed to read the bill. So uh, you had to ask questions. That was the only way that we would find out what was in the bill. Kind of the Nancy Pelosi pass it, and then you get to read it and see what you did. And so I was one of them. Um, uh, It was a 30-minute meeting because the next hour was spent – with an organization, a wonderful organization that uh, was going to promote tax exemptions, which was kind of strange after only that 30 minutes was for the tax bill. So Dana Criswell, Representative Dana Criswell, started taking names of who asked a question, which, in my opinion, if I can't read the bill, at least let me ask a question. And I've asked permission because you're not supposed to tell anything that happens in caucus because that is our time to vet things. Um, Representative Carolyn Crawford, who's 
one of the very few women in the legislatures who is conservative, who ran uh, several years ago to become a legislator because she has a disabled child. And she was very upset with how children were treated in schools and wanted to come up here and do better for disabled children and adults. And she asked a question. We had just passed um, the CCID bill, the Capital Complex, right. and, and, you know, um we had that bill. It was going to, we we're going to hire, uh, appoint judges, hire DAs, build jails, uh, and the map went from all the way to County Line Road. We would go across and get the lieutenant governor's uh, house. We would go get the One Lake Project, which, you know, nobody in South Mississippi wants, and uh, come back around with the Capitol Complex, to me, is the Capitol and areas around the Capitol. And we have increased police. How in the world? And her very valid question was, you know, how are we going to afford this? Uh, are we going to be able to do it all? Gotcha. Um, you know, and she has two opponents, and now uh, Russ Latino has called her a liberal, and me, and a lot of other people, because we weren't able to read the bill, and and now we have asked questions, legitimate questions, and now we're out as a liberal, which, you know, just burned me up is the reason I'm here today. You know, he gives us a report card. You know, he's never served a day in his life. He has absolutely no idea what really goes on up there, uh, and, and we're all failing on his report card because we don't think the way he does um so i'm gonna keep going but you know noah sant uh sanford asked what about the two to three hundred million dollars that we're going to need to put up for pers to shore it up uh very valid question and wanted to know uh were there any triggers in the bill once again, we're not able to read it. We just have to commit to it. Explain uh, that, Representative Curry, triggers, triggers for the audience. would be that, are there any triggers? Let's say, you know, right now with the Biden administration, we're all very unsure of what the future holds economically. And there's not one of us, not one of us that's an economist on, in the legislature. Uh, so he, the triggers would be if, if things went completely downhill, we went into a recession, which I think we really are anyway, if, uh, after federal money's gone, a lot of this extra money will be gone. Excuse yeah. me. Um, so it's a very valid question. Is there triggers that would uh, hold up any more tax dollars from uh, you know, because it's going to be done in a four year period. If things go south, would it stop? So that's a trigger. Yeah, I hope I explain that. Yeah, well. and so it basically what it would do is ensure that um, certain uh, fin- financial goals are met on the part of the state with respect to revenue and spending before more revenue is uh, reduced in the form of of uh, that's right. Setting the tax rates back or eliminating income tax. Because it's phased in over pr- proposed well, to be 10, 12 be years. Eight it? years. Eight years. Yeah. Okay. So, so um, the trigger may come up and say, well, we didn't achieve the, the, but, uh, the standards. That and we the, the still threshold. have bills to pay. Right. So, so we that's just, a trigger. We defer it, essentially. Is what exactly. Yep. Okay. Uh, Donnie Scoggins, Steve Massengale, and Missy McGee, who were also uh, called out in this, I have to be honest with you, I do not remember a question from any of them. I, I, I don't know how their names. Uh, Representative Jerry Turner asked to read the bill. Um, Kevin Felcher was named, and he asked, was there anything else in the bill that 
uh, was not uh, that we wouldn't expect. You he know, shared but, that with me. He wanted to make sure the bill exclusively dealt with taxes and, and, and no other matters. And nothing else stuck right. in the bill. Right. Because once again, we weren't able to read it. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it's just an, an unfortunate incident where we have somebody who's leaving the legislature who wants to go out and uh, scorn uh, other people for asking legitimate questions on a bill that we were unable to read before we had to say, yeah, sure, I'll vote for it. Right. Uh, we got to go, but can you stay around? Because I want to find out where do we go from here with this, find out what happens. Sure. All right, we got Representative Becky Curry in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. With Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk, Mississippi. everyone to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Representative Becky Curry, our guest in the Element Well Studios, represents Capaya, Lawrence, and Lincoln Counties. We've been talking about uh, Medicaid postpartum extension and uh, also tax reform, uh, specifically elimination of the income tax, which was certainly hailed by the Speaker and uh, Representative Trey Lamar, who heads Ways and Means, and, and also Representative Jason White, uh, Speaker Pro Tim, is their top priorities for this session, having not achieved full elimination in 2022. And so where we are with that right now is uh, we talked to uh, Representative Lamar last week. It didn't look like a, a bill was going to be passable uh, in the House, and therefore none would be uh, considered is is kind of what I got out of uh, Representative Lamar last week. You guys said you've been talking about you had caucus meetings. Those are supposed to be private affairs, uh, and discussions that occur in those meetings are supposed to be confidential among the members. That's the rules, is it not? That's the rules of the caucus, and a lot of people don't like you know that we have a caucus, but it's just imperative that, and it's been um, through this administration the only vehicle we've had to find out about bills. So if you don't ask questions there. you know, you don't see a bill till it gets to committee. And on that particular bill, we started at 11, then we had an hour slideshow from someone else. Then uh, Ways and Means was going to ha- uh, take the bill up at 1.30, and the bill was coming out on the floor at 2. So there was not a lot of time 
once you could get a hold of a copy of a bill that you would be able to read it. Was it 300 pages? Was it 1,000 pages? I have absolutely no idea. Interesting. So some members of the House just expressed concerns. I never heard anybody say uh, on the Republican side that they were absolutely a hard no, no way that they would support the legislation. Rather, what we heard was just concerns. We just wanted to know what was in the bill. Yeah, okay. And I think that most of everybody on this list would have voted for it. All right. All right, so where are we now, Representative Curry? Those who said we we want more details, we want uh, to understand more about the bill, Uh, we want to, as Representative Kevin Felsher indicated, we want to make sure that this bill uh, is limited exclusively to just elimination of the income tax and that somebody hasn't embedded some other non-related provision in it, in the measure, that would not be attractive um, to someone who maybe supports elimination of the income tax. Well, I think we all, as Republicans, want to do away with the taxes. But I will also add that in talking to my constituents, they would like for elimination of the grocery tax. Heard that uh, as well. And elimination of car tags and things that they need right now to survive. Right. Um, most of my constituents live paycheck to paycheck, as two-thirds of Americans do. And, you know, uh, I had one person tell me that he was a little bit mad that uh, we were going to eliminate the, the income tax because that's his savings account. Uh, he gets uh, his refund every year, and then he goes and buys, you know, tires or if he needs mm. an appliance. You know, so, it, it, yes, it would attract business here and more jobs, and we know all these things, but people are hurting right now. They're hurting going to the grocery store. They're hurting putting a yearly car tag on. So we had other things that we wanted to just discuss and get a, you know, a caucus, uh, you know, conversation on what would be best for the people of Mississippi right now. And we didn't get that. Where do we stand as far as uh, resolving all of those questions, those members that had these questions, you among them, have your questions been answered satisfactorily to the point where you would support a a measure uh, that would fully eliminate the income tax over a phased-out period of time, or do you still need more information? Well, the the topic has never been brought back up. Okay. Hasn't been brought back up. Has not been brought back up. Well, what's the plan? So I'm I'm a, I'm guessing there is no plan, but you know we have been in session since January third, and nobody talked about it until last week. We had plenty of time to have conversations and read a bill. Uh, so you know they could bring it up again. If it, I think they'd have to suspend the rules, which you know they could probably get done. But nobody's again talking about it. Hmm. Not talking about it. I'm I'm a little perplexed by that. Do you, do you have any opinion as to why it's not being discussed any further? I do not. Um, do you believe we'll see any further action? I have absolutely no idea. I wish I wish I could tell you, but I have no idea. And you know, uh, I'm sure it would be a decision between the speaker and uh, Ways and Means and the pro tem, and and then they'll let us know what they come up with. That's how it's usually done. Is there a bill? that would eliminate the income tax, a process for it that you could support? 
I, I would love to to get rid of the income tax, and uh, I think that we just need to be very careful. On the day that this discussion was made, the Dow dropped seven hundred points, and you know, I, like I said, there's nobody there that's an economist. We just want a bill that's best for the state. That will we have been spending money like drunken sailors for years now, and we're very concerned that all of this federal money is going to be gone. Uh, that the economy is going to fall and we need to be able to pay our bills. And what those that ask questions, one of our main concerns is we never, ever want to be faced with having to raise taxes uh, because we're in a bind because we rushed to this. We just needed answers and we needed answers from somebody who knew the answer. And, and it was not anybody in that room. Hmm. So I'm just going to run down real briefly the state general fund spending going back to 2019, $5.5 billion, $5.7 billion in 2020, $5.6 dollars $5.6 $6.3 $23, and uh, the budget proposal for 24, fiscal year 24, which would kick off uh, July 1 of 23, sits at 7.28. So we have seen a trajectory of an increase in spending. Do you guys talk about some areas where you could reduce spending? Well, when we came into the majority, you know, 12 short years ago, you know, uh, we did a lot of cuts. And we made a lot of people mad by saying no. And um, we just haven't done that in a long time. The, The state budget has grown, and therefore... Some of us that that are uh, conservative and, and want to make sure that we are able to pay our bills, uh, we had questions. And I just think that if you didn't have questions, there's a problem. <laughs> Do you think, Representative Curry, that a bill which would um, eliminate sales taxes on groceries would pass in the House? I think it would pass tomorrow or t- this afternoon. Have you heard any such uh, talk of a measure? Absolutely none. Okay, well, and and I would just opine that I think the speaker and leadership are still very interested in seeing the income tax eliminated, even if that means phasing it in over a period of time. I'm not sure the math works to do both. I don't uh, And I don't think they would be comfortable with that, and I suspect most of the members would not be. That, that would be a lot of revenue. And, of course, the other issue, as you well know, is uh, taxes on groceries are a large source of revenue for smaller municipalities in our state because typically the grocery stores are the biggest retailers generating the the uh, sales taxes, which is their their revenue at a municipal level. So the state would have to figure some way to make them whole likely. And that, that was in one of the bills. You know, it we've was. been through a lot of bills uh, yes. trying to come up with these things, and that was a part of one of the bills that we were all very happy about because everybody immediately would see the help. Yeah. Yeah, and, of course, uh, folks who whose income primarily consists of retirement income, which is not subject to income tax in the state of Mississippi, uh, I've heard many of them say, well, this really wouldn't help me. What are you going to do for me? Have you heard that Absolutely. from constituents? From my constituents. You know, that we have one of the largest uh, taxes in the nation on groceries. Yeah. And we are, you know, we have the uh, largest amount of poor people. And I will tell you this. I do uh, the grocery shopping at my house, and yeah. my bill has doubled 
over the past couple of years. It is crazy. It yeah. is crazy. In- inflation, it certainly has probably been more noticeable at the grocery store, perhaps, because we all got to eat. We all have to eat. And eating out's gotten extremely expensive, so a lot of people have abandoned that uh, right. in favor of, of cooking. I, I even uh, shared last week, the CEO of Domino's last week said their business was down, and he attributed it to more people making pizza at home right, because it's less expensive than ordering it from Domino's. And his business uh, does not, he said, did, did not look like it was going to make it under these circumstances. Sure did. Absolutely did. That'd be crazy. I know. Representative Becky Curry, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you it. for letting me uh, vent a little bit, but I was oh, no. very uh, uncomfortable be- with being called a liberal. I understand. <laughs> I understand. Appreciate you coming on. Representative Becky Curry's been our guest. We'll step aside for a break right here on Middays. Coming right back in the Element Well Studios. means middays with gerard gibbert we'll do it live on super talk mississippi Well, you got the air now. I'm sorry about that, Rhino. The boss had to talk to me for a minute there. But uh, Suicide is Painless, right? The name of that MASH iconic theme song. 40 years ago today. Oh, really? The finale. Still one of the highest rated TV programs of all time. We have discussed that. 1983, I think I shared. I was watching it. In uh, my little kitchen area in Baton Rouge, my wife and I, with our little uh, 19-inch Zenith color TV, remember it like it was yesterday. Now, you looked that up for us a few weeks ago, and didn't you tell me that the only uh, programs broadcast that exceeded viewership of the finale of MASH were Super Bowls? Is that right? Unless you include news situations like Apollo 11 and stuff like that, where you just had all eyes on it. But as far as primetime broadcasts, you've got the Super Bowl and MASH, the farewell. From 40 years ago, which just shows you how popular across the globe the program was. I still say it's the best television series ever made, just my opinion. I mean, when you look at the ratings for it, it is kind of mind-boggling because... Nowadays, you have all these different streaming options. You still have cable. You've got, you still have over-the-air television. Yeah. So you have all these different options to get your eyes on it. It's kind of hard to wrap your head around something coming along that could take 77% of all eyes on televisions for that time frame. Yeah, I totally agree. Unbelievable. 
Well, we got, as you can imagine, lots of text flowing in on the text line. We'll try to get to some of those now. Paul and Meridian, uh, ceasefire text line, of course, 601-879-4395. This is the big problem with the government. Representatives uh, who are trying to do their job for the people that elected them are labeled as problem makers. Thomas in Greenwood says... So let's see here. Thomas sent us so many. I can't even. I got to start uh, a couple of pages back here. Thomas says, "Let's have both her and Russ take an IQ test, and then we can address her claims of him being ignorant." I didn't hear her say that. Did I miss that? I mean, she said he's never served in the legislature oh, and doesn't see. know how it works. Well, um, which is true. He's never served in the legislature. That's right. Does that mean that a person doesn't know how it works? No, does it means does it mean that you're probably not totally aware of everything that goes on inside baseball behind the closed doors in certain circumstances? I think there's probably some truth to that. I mean, it's, you know, unless you're a member and you are are privy to a lot of well, well like the caucus meetings for example. You can't attend that. And remember was it last year there was a big uh, a big protest about whether or not those were subject to open records or whether or not you could use the Capitol building, I think, was the – that was the grievance, as I recall. And and uh, I think ultimately it was ruled, yeah, you can have private caucus meetings without press and them being open to the public. Yes, you can use the Capitol facilities for that. Did I get that right? Is that your yeah. recollection of the final position on that? Thomas says, um, let's see, so she gets to literally dedicate on actual conservatives like Russ and Dana gets to proclaim she's so conservative, and what's the response to challenge her? What legislation has she introduced this session that is conservative? You know, Thomas, I'm going to say again here, man, um, you know, I would consider myself a conservative, but I would also argue that there is no standard. There's absolutely no consensus what's conservative, what's liberal, what's progressive. There's just no consensus. There's none. Now, it's the Russian nesting doll of purity tests. <laughs> There's so, always another one. I really think, you know, i got to be careful here. I just wonder... If they're even meaningful descriptors anymore, conservative, liberal, I don't know. It it just seems like that a lot of folks would hold themselves as into one of those camps, but another person may say, "Well, no, you're not, because you don't do this, that, and the other." I would say Thomas is one of those people. That bottom line is, if they don't agree with him, one hundred percent of the time, they would be uh, construed as not. Thomas from Greenwood conservative, like there's a published standard for that. See, that's the problem. It's been hijacked, and it's been morphed. It's evolved. It's been distorted so much. I don't know that there is a consensus. In fact, I'd say there's definitely not. News coming up, coming right back. And now... Another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. 
Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are live in the Element Well Studios. The old voice here, I'm saying, is 85%. Not quite to the 100%, but getting there. I'll see later, later on in the program, we got some uh, Doobie Brothers tickets to give away. Ain't that right? Oh, yeah. Right we'll get to that in a moment. So, um,. Thomas says, we were just talking about him, talking about this extension of postpartum care for uh, those on Medicaid, uh, mothers that are having a baby that qualify for Medicaid coverage during the gestation period. Their income would be below 194% of the federal poverty level, which is based on the number of individuals in a household. That's how the federal poverty level charts uh, work. So, and we shared that a, a person who has just one, say it's a a single mother, doesn't have any other children, and is pregnant, they would qualify for Medicaid in the state of Mississippi if their income were around twenty eight thousand dollars. If they had a a child and were also pregnant, so they have an existing child in their household and they're pregnant with a second child, their income would have to be about $38,000 in order to qualify for coverage under Medicaid during the gestation period. That is one of the four coverage groups that Mississippi Medicaid provides benefits to children, disabled, pregnant women, and low-income elderly. There is another small coverage group, which would be low-income parents and caretakers. Their income cannot be more than about 4500 bucks a year to qualify, so it's a pretty small coverage group. Uh, because there's not many households whose income uh, is that low. So so Thomas says, no, it's not meaningful talking about conservative. When you support Medicaid expansion and claim to be conservative, this is not expansion. I want to be clear on that, Thomas. It's not expansion. It's extension of an existing coverage group, a, a group that is going to get coverage without this measure extending the period of coverage from two months postpartum to 12, I can't see how extending welfare coverage is remotely conservative. And I would um, I would also ask, again, Thomas, have you insisted to your legislators that Mississippi exit-based Medicaid? I just really can't take you seriously until you're willing to do that on this postpartum extension. Because if postpartum extension is bad and Medicaid expansion is considered bad and not conservative, well, heck, we spend almost $7 billion a year in Mississippi on base Medicaid. We should exit it immediately. 
based on that standard. And in fact, that would save the state about a billion dollars a year. A billion. Medicaid is the number two spending line item in Mississippi's general fund budget, and that's fairly consistent across the country. We should exit. We could save a billion dollars. Seems like that's the way to handle it, based on that standard. Why aren't we going after the fathers of these children it takes two? Can't find them in many cases. And still, even when there is a father, as long as their, their income meets the eligibility test, they are eligible for Medicaid. They qualify for Medicaid. So it's not about going after the father. That's a different matter. This is about who's going to pay for care, prenatal care, and postpartum care. Health coverage is expensive. It's ridiculously expensive. I'm approaching Medicare age. I did some research to find out what that cost me. Now, having paid into Medicare my whole dang life, going back to when I started working, at least part-time, when I was 13, full-time, some weeks during high school. That's how long I've been paying into Medicare. I go check it out. Medicare equivalent to my present private coverage for my wife and I. 1500 bucks a month. $1,500. $18,000 a year for Medicare. Something I paid in for my whole life. It's broken. The system is upside down. Broken. Um, and, and so, you know, Medicare premiums, you have to pay a premium, it's based on your income. There's an income test. So it doesn't matter that I paid into it my whole life. And in fact, uh, Medicare taxes are, are levied on all your income. There's no threshold like there is Social Security. So I paid in a lot. I'll never get that much out. Somebody else gets the benefit of what I paid in. That's the way the system works. It's insurance like that. Uh, let's see. Keith Invaden says, Gerard Thomas is one dude I can't figure out. <laughs> Would you sign a contract without reading it on the ceasefire tax line? And I think that that is, I think that's in response to Representative uh, Curry and others who said they want some time to to review the legislation that would eliminate the income tax? I think that's a reasonable request. I really just wish I totally support and would love to see elimination of the income tax. I've made that clear. And I'm not certainly not wavering on that whatsoever. But but if there the path to get that done means we gotta have all Republican votes if no Democrat in the House, if no Democrats would support. I'd like to see us do whatever's necessary to achieve that. I think it would be monumentous for the state. I think it would benefit the state economically. And I also believe that we will always be held back as a state as long as we rank 50th in per capita income and household median income. It's just hard to really progress economically when you're at the bottom of the list. 
I believe that elimination of the income tax would likely be the most important action, most meaningful action the state could take to boosting and elevating our household income and our per capita income. I'm tired of being 50th. And I I know I'm not alone in this respect. I know there are a lot of folks in the legislature that feel that way. I know the governor does. I've talked to him about it. And that's why he invests so much of his cycles in economic development. He sees that as critical. I do, too. I want to see us attract industry that would hire those who are graduating from our fantastic universities. I'm tired of seeing them leave the state for greener pastures. Our schools turn out incredible talent. We are blessed with great institutes of higher ed, as we are community colleges. I want to see a lot more people making wages that exceed our household income, our per capita income, so as to bring that average up. It would go a long way towards addressing the quality of life in our state. It would also, it's the solution to not increasing our Medicaid rolls, to decreasing it. Incomes move up. People don't need Medicaid. That's how it works. Well, the government doesn't create jobs. I don't want to see the government go hire a bunch of people to get people off Medicaid. I want them to get the hell out of the way and create an environment that facilitates, that encourages economic growth and development. And we're seeing this, of course, at the federal level as well. It's all about more taxes, more regulations, more control, more dictation of how your life should function and operate. So I'd love to see that happen. Uh... Keep all sales taxes. Everyone pays sales tax. Well, when when you look at that as an option, this person also said, do not remove grocery tax. Everyone pays that income tax. Not all pay income taxes. Okay, so what you're saying is keep the grocery tax in place as a, and uh, don't eliminate that in in lieu of eliminating income tax because everybody doesn't pay income tax. It's absolutely true. But retired folks in Mississippi say, no, we're not getting anything out of elimination of the income tax. Eliminate sales taxes on groceries, for example. Reduce sales taxes. Reduce the price of uh, car tax and property taxes. It's just hard to um, appease everybody in this regard. Coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Tim and McGee 
listening in on my conversation about trying to get all my AB gear to work said, hell, you have to buy an extra cord all separate just to get the TV to work. <laughs> That's true. The old HDMI uh, cords. But you'd have to admit the HDMI interface is pretty cool because before that you had component or RCA and then you had audio separate, so you had to have multiple. Now one cord carries it all, one physical cable. Which is kind of coming back around to what the coax did. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's higher quality. That's right, exactly. It had the capacity to carry the different signals for that. Correct. In my opinion, if this bill passes, it will do nothing but cause more women to get pregnant. It incentivizes pregnancy, Jimmy, from even it. Let's be clear, Jimmy. This Exactly what this bill does has been in place plus for three years. So what this bill would do once the uh, public health emergency ends at the end of March, states then have to start checking eligibility. For the last three years of those on Medicaid, for the last three years, the federal government has not allowed that in exchange for getting the additional funding from the federal government to pay for Medicaid. Now they got to start kicking them off the rolls. It's estimated about 100,000 to 110,000 would be removed because the federal government's going to cut down on the amount of money they're sending. This is the way that works. But I hear you, in general, I think there's a feeling that based on the federal poverty level tests that there's a bit of an incentive. I don't think that necessarily that Medicaid covering a pregnancy and childbirth, I don't know that that serves as an incentive to having children. I think most people think about it as once the child is born, what kind of additional benefits can one get from the government? And all that's based on federal poverty level, which is based on the number in the household. So, yeah, I think what happens, though, Rhino, and I, I bet you're aware of some, having some experience in the healthcare industry, aware of some of these situations, where you get a mother, an expectant mother, I should say, becomes pregnant out of wedlock, and delays marriage to the father, knows who the father is, delays, postpones marriage so they could qualify for Medicaid because if they were married and the father works and you combine their incomes, they probably exceed the income eligibility threshold. You're shaking your head. Oh, yeah. This happens a lot. That's a problem. Now, some creative, smart people need to sit around the table and figure out how to address that. I can tell you something that happened to me for what it's worth in a business setting. You know, you've got the mandatory uh, paid leave uh, post, post-birth. post What is that called? Uh, family leave. I can't remember the exact the exact um, name of, of the program, the benefit. But, yeah. you, but you have to hold the job open um, for a period of time. You don't necessarily have to pay, I don't think, an employer – the, the employee, their full pay while their maternity leave was the word I'm looking for. But I've had situations where you have to hold the job open by law. When, they, when they're when they done with their maternity leave, they come back, 
you got to hire them. you got to rehire them. You can't say, okay, well, if you go have a baby, you're fired. You can't do that. I can't tell you the number of times I had that happen. And, you know, you would you would hold off hiring anybody, and everybody else has to cover their work. That I get it. That's, that's part of it. But then they come back for one day, and then they quit, knowing the whole time they weren't coming back permanently. And you held the job open because law tells you to. Now you're in a big pickle. That happens. You know, oh, yeah. that happens. So I think those are the kinds of things, Jimmy, that we could do specifically on these working, scheming to work the system. Yeah, I wouldn't qualify if I got married, so I'm just going to hold off on getting married, let Medicaid pay for my my uh, prenatal care, my childbirth 60 days after, then we'll get married, and then I'm no longer eligible. Yeah, that happens. So we could, and then there's a bunch of just waste, fraud, and if abuse. they ever even get married, right? If they ever get married, because that's not as a traditional, I guess, as it conventional as it used to be. You just, you just maybe live together, have a family, but you're not legally married. Therefore, you could technically continue to qualify for for benefits. Hmm. Matt Tupelo says, "Tell me about it. We have a six month at home, costing us thirteen to fifteen bucks a day for formula, baby food, diapers, and wipes. That's four hundred dollars a month." Wow, Gerard, why don't we talk about education on what causes babies instead of what happens sixty days after you have a baby? I'm all for it. That's Michael from Starkville. I'm all for it, Michael, and I do think that uh, that sort of education is desperately needed. And I'm not sure to what extent that's occurring in our schools. I really don't. Um, Somebody said, yeah, here we go, the state should put a limit on babies that it will pay for. Representative Curry told me offline she's actually supported such legislation. Hasn't made it. But here's the reality. We're not going to deny care to the baby. We're not going to tell the mother, sorry, you got to have that baby out in the street. That's the problem. There, there's a human side of this. There's a medical human side of this beyond economics that makes this hard. Very hard. I'd much, I'd much rather pay my state income tax than my federal. Aside from interstates in the military, I don't see a return of any significant benefit, says Rhett and Ridgeland. Well, I don't think there's any question that federal tax bite is considerably greater than the state. There's no doubt about that. We are the poorest state in the union and will always have to have state income tax. Not true um, on the 662. That Those are not related, honestly, the, the poverty level or the income levels of the state have nothing to do with income tax. In fact, what it means is that you're generating less income tax because the incomes are lower. So it's not that. In fact, also keep in mind, if you eliminated the income tax, that disposable income, your checks go up because we are the poorest state. What happens? They go spend it. Then what happens? It's taxed, sales tax. Where does that go? The state, the municipalities. So to a great extent, and this is built into the models, and I know there's some people out there that think 
this is just a ruse, but it's not. You got more income, unless you're at a point from a financial perspective that, yeah, that's great, I got more income, I'm going to go save it or invest it. Most people in this state, given uh, the low pardon me, the low level of income, they're not going to save it or invest it. They're going to spend it. And when they spend it, it's subject to, to a sales tax at 7%, as opposed to the highest marginal rate of income tax in Mississippi, which is 5, being phased down to 4. Well, the other side of that coin is it doesn't matter who saves it or how long it's saved, eventually saved money gets spent. Exactly. That's exactly and right. And if it's spent on something that's taxable, then it's getting taxed. That's right. Good point. Uh, James in Hattiesburg also makes a point, and I, I'm with you on this, James, that Representative Curry said that one of her constituents uses income taxes as a savings mechanism. I completely... Yeah, that kind of hurt my head. Yeah, advise against that. That means this person has set their withholdings uh, from their employer up uh, to withhold a lot more than they owe, so they let the state use their money for a year, and then they file a return. And get no return on it for that year the state's using it. Makes no sense. I don't want the state using my money, or the Fed for that matter. So I would advise that person, make some adjustments in your, your withholding so you're not loaning money to the state, because that's what you're doing. At no interest, by the way. Oh, man. News flash, Gerard. The people in power are not going to move off the plan of phasing out the 4%, 5% over the 10- to 12-year plan. You just went over the budget for the last five years, and the trajectory is spending more. That's what they want to do with the surplus. Spend it. Let's be clear. The four percent's already gone this year. Five percent goes down to four. Um, yeah, there is a spending increase trajectory, but I do think there's an appetite to curb it. Coming right back. Stay with us. This program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. everyone it's the doobie brothers because we got some tickets to give away uh, go rhino yeah one of the best-selling groups of all time the doobie brothers will be live at the brandon amphitheater in brandon on saturday august 26th tickets for the show will go on sale this friday at ticketmaster.com or you can swing by the brandon amphitheater box office to pick them up but you can win a pair of tickets now before you can even buy them all you got to do is be the 10th person to text into the C Spire text line. That number is 601-879-4395. Again, be the 10th person to text into the C Spire text line. The phrase, 
China Grove. And you'll win a pair of tickets to see the Doobie Brothers at the Brandon Amphitheater on August 26th. All right. Appreciate it, Rhino. And the text will roll in. So on the C Spire text line, uh, back on the maternity leave scenario that I described in my company, someone said, I thought that only applied to companies with 50 or more employees. That's correct. The Family and Medical Leave Act is where that stems from. And I, I had 50 employees in my company at that time, so it definitely applied. All right, we got a winner, Rhino? We do, just confirming. All right, awesome. So, Chris from Oxford said, the imposter is coming back in the room, overuse of voice again today. Yeah, I think I'm going to be fine. I feel like I'll be 95% or so tomorrow. I, I apologize, folks, and appreciate you uh, bearing with me through this uh, this pollen that has uh, rattled my old vocal cords. They don't have the willpower or discipline. The refund is as close to a savings or investment account as they will ever have. That from Tony on the ceasefire tax line in reference to my recommendation to Representative Curry's constituent who said that they use state income taxes as a savings mechanism. Yeah, I agree. Some people don't, but I, that's sad to hear because they're just letting the government use their money, Tony, and I don't like to see that. I want to pay them as little as I can um, and with not much time before the deadline. And that's pretty much the way I conduct my tax affairs, and I would recommend others do the same. Of course, when you're when your um, income tax is withheld from a paycheck as an employer, you don't quite have as much latitude over that. When you make quarterly investments, I just want to apply, uh, pardon me, comply with the minimum requirement to make those payments when they are due and within the safe harbor, it's called safe harbor rules, so that they're not using my money. Even if I owe more when I file my return at the end of the year in April. How about incentivizing vasectomies plus a free vasectomy, says Paul and Meridian? We don't have to incentivize it. I mean, look at the uptick in vasectomies that happened after the Roe v. Wade overturning. That's true. It was reported on across the country. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Too many generations of women in Mississippi have made having kids their source of income. Now the older generations that cared for these kids are dying off. I think there's some certainly truth to that, that there are people out there that have have become very proficient at scheming all the various federal benefits. Um, You know, I don't honestly see, when you do the math, how... Getting pregnant and having Medicaid cover the pregnancy, the prenatal care, and the delivery, that comes, that falls pretty short of funding the raising of a child. And I'm afraid that in, often the case is children are relegated to very difficult circumstances in their household. Literally don't have enough to eat. 
I've, I've heard this from, you know, my daughter's a teacher, and she has expressed that that's happened in her classroom. She has concerns about some of her students literally don't have enough to eat, come to school hungry and so forth. Not good. Don't want to hear that. This is a tough one, as we've said so many times, because we are um, we're, we're not going to let babies and children and pregnant mothers go without care. They're going to get it somehow. Now, it could be said that on a postpartum basis, they certainly can function and live without much of the care that would be available if they had a way to pay for it. Um, And that going without it decreases the quality of life. I don't think there's any question. The question is, how do we pay for that? How how does that get handled in our society? And it really is not just pregnant women and postpartum, but the um, the large uninsured population in our state and in our country. Our state has one of the highest at about 12% of our population. Doesn't mean they don't get health care. They just don't pay for it. Don't have a way. And what's the best way to handle that? What we hear a lot, and this is what I'd like to see change, honestly, what we hear a lot about is all the things that don't work. I've, I've heard folks say, well, outcomes on Medicaid for Medicaid recipients are worse than those without any coverage, that even more people die. I've seen this assertion. More people die on Medicaid than people that don't have insurance. Well, if that's the case... I would say that makes a pretty compelling argument for getting rid of Medicaid. If people are dying, more likely to die on Medicaid than they are with no insurance, and the outcomes are often worse on Medicaid than they are with no insurance, then maybe we should just get rid of Medicaid. And the 90 million people in the country enrolled in it would not have any health care coverage. Same for the 800,000 in the state. So uh, I'm, I'm posing that to you again, Thomas, or when are you going to ask our our legislature, our state leaders to disassociate with Medicaid, have the state completely exit Medicaid? It's a serious question. I, I'm not, it's not hyperbole whatsoever. Let it happen, and they figured out we are headed that direction in a, anyway, is what somebody says. I'm not sure what they're talking about. What are they talking about there, Rhino? Not sure. Yeah, and government set it up by design to break up the family unit and make them dependent on the government, says Carol and Starkville. The, I actually do think there's some degree of truth to that, and I think that ship set sail in 1965 when... Medicaid was formed and all the other litany of of welfare benefits. No doubt, we we have a huge welfare state in our country, and way too many people receiving government benefits. and 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 those don't come just in the form of welfare, but they come in the form of all kinds of tax credits. I just read this morning where West Virginia is on the cusp 
of passing significant state child tax credits, not deductions, credits, similar to that which Joe Biden is pushing at the federal level, refundable, meaning when you do your tax return, if you don't owe the state of Virginia any taxes, I don't mean the difference between what was withheld and what is now the return says you owe, that would be an additional amount you got to pay in. I mean you don't owe any. West Virginia wants to send you a check. That's just blatant welfare. West Virginia, fairly red state. little surprised at that. And then, of course, today the Supreme Court is taking up the student loan case. Four hundred billion dollars. See that? Four hundred billion. And most of those recipients pretty well off financially. They, these are not and and this is a point. The folks up there on the Supreme Court ruling on this, they all went to expensive Ivy League schools. The cost of fortune. And they're making this decision. I'm a little worried about that. I think at the end of the day I think they will rule, no, Joe Biden doesn't have the authority as the president just to sign away $400 billion of debt owed to the taxpayers. I don't think that will prevail. That we're even talking about it is kind of nuts when you think about when you think about it. So Mississippi is smarter than the other 48 states that already do this, says Rusty, in reference to postpartum Medicaid coverage. Well, 48 states at least have postpartum or full Medicaid expansion. Coming back, final segment. Gerard Gibbert, going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. Final segment on Middays. The old boy starting to give out a little bit. Got to go rested for tomorrow. All right, tell me about this story with the person who survived. Oh, it's, it's been an ongoing kind of viral thing on social media the last few weeks, but it finally came to a head. There was a story, oh, it's been a little while ago now, but it was a guy that was working on his boat, and the weather changed, and he drifted out to sea, and... He got so far out, he couldn't figure out a way to get back. So he just kind of sat down and figured they'd come find him. And 24 days later, they found him. A guy named Elvis Francois, aged 47. Hmm. He survived on the boat with only seasonings, as it says <laughs> in the report, and a bottle of ketchup. Well, after the story went viral because the Colombian military found him and picked him up and took him home, the ketchup company Heinz decided, you know what, this is a great chance to stick our foot in the door. Wow. 
So they found the guy. They, they started a, a social media campaign, help us find out. What was the hashtag they used? It was another one of those way too long hashtags. Yeah, find the ketchup <laughs> boat guy. Way too long for a hashtag, Heinz. But I digress. So they found the guy. He's in uh, Dominica now at home. And they got in touch with him. And now Heinz, the ketchup people, did the right thing. Uh, you, you would think a ketchup company would offer something like a lifetime supply of ketchup. But I think he's kind of tired of it. So they're going to buy him a new boat. Wow. That's pretty cool. Of course, ketchup's got a lot of sugar in it, I think. Does it not? Or oh, some yeah. Sugar? Yeah. So that, I guess, would power you but you need carbs he he said in the article that he tried to eat seaweed because that was available to him but it was quote unquote too strong oh wow so gotta correct something it was massachusetts who is uh set to uh implement pretty sweeping tax credit child tax credit legislation but it's west virginia this is where i got it confused west virginia Yesterday, their House of Delegates, uh, actually it was their Senate, that passed a bill that would provide 25000 in tax credits to former residents who return to the Mountaineer State. They have to have either been born there or lived in the state of West Virginia for 10 years and then moved away for 10 years prior to 2023. And if they come back, they're going to give them 25,000 bucks. How about that? Mo says, I know the numbers don't add up for the legislature to eliminate both the income and grocery taxes. However, there has already been a reduction of the income tax that is being phased in. I believe the numbers would work to further reduce the income tax and eliminate the state's portion of the grocery tax. Hmm. This would keep municipalities whole and provide both working and retired Mississippians with tax relief. Well, yeah, you certainly could. You couldn't fully eliminate the income tax and make ends meet if you reduced the state's portion of the grocery tax, as you rightly point out, Mose. But I think folks are missing the idea, in my view. It's not just to provide some tax relief, though this is important to existing Mississippians. It's also to establish a more tax-friendly environment in order to promote and foment encourage investment in economic development. The sugar high of a few hundred bucks that you get from eliminating the 4% bracket, in fact, it's 200 to be exact, and then 1% is what we're doing, what we're whacking off the 5% bracket, yeah, that'll certainly help, but that's not something you're going to go to prospective investors or businesses and say, hey, look, Come to Mississippi. If you eliminated the income tax, you got a pretty serious carrot. That's where I think it, that's I think that's the part of the discussion that's missing is how does this promote economic expansion in the state? Not just giving people some immediate tax relief. Yes, that's important. But long term, it's about 
How do we make Mississippi a more business-friendly environment to build our economy? We are out of time here today, and the old voice is going out, but I'll be better tomorrow. Please tune in tomorrow. Until then, stay safe, and God bless everyone. Mississippi Media Production.